Welcome to Secret Skin on the Infinite Gas Network, distributed by American Public Media, recorded live to internet tape in a dirty hotel room by me. special open mic ego a story of love i love having a talk show and loss i lost my talk show a story that will touch the hearts of every kid and every parent in america we're gonna help pull each other through this okay okay it's a open mic ego you'll never forget followed by an all-new phenom tuesday Hi folks, my name is Open Mike Eagle, recording live from a terrible hotel room. I'm at a Howard Johnson, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what's going on here at all. The front desk man is definitely, definitely the uh, Scatman Carruthers character from The Shining. This place is haunted. All the ghosts are uh, cigarettes. I'm currently on tour with the Doom Tree. Played Austin last night. It was great. We played Dallas before that, and it was great too. We played Columbia, Missouri for that, and it was also great. Looking pretty consistently good. But I'm in a terrible hotel room. That's really the only thing I can think about right now. Howard Johnson is one of these um, hotel brands that does this thing where they act like they're like hella better than a motel. I think it's just because they have a hallway. It's not really fair. I think they should stop that. Got a great show for you guys today. My interview with Andrew Broder of Fog is on this episode. Put out an EP last week. It's called A Special Episode of. 
If you haven't heard it yet, here's a commercial I made for no reason. Open mic, Eagle! And the gang are up against Mother Nature. A blizzard. It's gonna be okay. Not when I split my well, pants. it could be worse. We're gonna freeze! We're gonna starve! We're gonna die! Instead, they take a look back during their darkest and coldest hours. I got fired from my talk show, dang. And share their warmest moments. I don't know what happened after It's that. a special episode of Open Mic Eagle! Wednesday at 7.30 on The Internet. So yeah, that's a special episode, the EP, that I made a commercial for to put in my podcast. I want to take some opportunities in the intros to the next few podcasts to talk about these songs. I'm going to be my own Inside the Actors Studio. Inside the Dirty Hotel Room. Actually, I was listening to the uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast, and he, uh did live commentary over one of his old matches and I had this really dumb idea like why don't I just like do that with the song you're like why is it a bad idea allow me to show you the song is called uh, Split Pans in Detroit or Hyrule and uh, it's kind of about the song where I actually did um Split my pants in Detroit. It wasn't Hyrule. That part's kind of made up. It's Hyrule's made up. It's a video game. Yeah, I um, jumped up on stage and sound check, and um, I, I have my favorite pair of Target pants that I um, pants from Target. They don't have Targets on them. And I jumped up on stage during sound check, very acrobatically. My body could handle it uh, way more than my pants could. And so I was flying home from Detroit. I wrote a rap song that mentioned it. Anyway. Let's add some live commentary to a rap song. It's produced by Illingsworth out of Detroit. Go check him out right now. He's great. Stop listening to this. Anyway, split pants, split pea soup, split the difference. This goes out to all the homies. I got a lot of homies. I do. This one in particular, uh, it goes out, goes out to my man Grant. He actually said this. He said I like beats to sound like Zelda. Ta- yep. I didn't get it when he said it, but I felt it. Right now. Melted down the guns that wouldn't be afraid to sample by fighting the streets like Bushida Black. That's a lie. For a gangster movie, some even I can listen to Neil Young and Sufjan Stevens. I hate it that I sang that. I'm him and Dave the lab. I'm on a plane when it lands. I'ma take a True. Never listen to the Kinks or the Beta Band and punch bowls. I think about drinking with a lady hand. I never listened to the Kings or the Beta Band. That's supposed to be the past tense. It wasn't a rule that I was trying to make for the future. Round jet. I went to Target with my thighs and my privates out. Nobody even noticed. Made them focus on my eyes and mouth. True. A unique personal embarrassment. I wonder if it's better to have somebody to share it with. Probably not. Please define polyglot. My favorite J Electronicas. I want to sing. Probably stop. If I'm not feeling it, let's dance. I promise myself I'll pack my bags and visit a nearby town. It 
was very ineffective. Yeah, so that didn't really work very well. Um, so that means I'm probably going to try it again later. Once again, that's from the EP, a special episode of, which is available everywhere where people sell music that is physically imaginary. And also I have um, real compact discs on my person. If you want to come to one of these shows on this Doom Tree tour, you'll have to um, look for those dates. Not that I'm trying to make them difficult to find. I just don't want to remember them all. Sorry, I had to clear my throat. This interview is with uh, Andrew Broder of Fog. It's interesting how I came to know about Andrew Broder and Fog, which is his band. I was at um, POS's comeback show in Minneapolis, and um, I recognized about everybody who was like behind the scenes the whole time, except for Mr. Broder was walking around and looking important but I eventually got introduced to him and he said his name was Andrew Broder and I couldn't remember why I knew that name and um, Bus Driver actually on his newest album Perfect Hair has a song that samples Andrew Broder and Fog and um, I thought it was great so I went back and checked the music out and the music's incredible it's a very storied indie career started out as a turntablist and uh, decided to start making like indie rock songs in this basement and they're good uh, and they've been good they put out I think four albums under the name Fog and uh, side projects like Cloak Ox and uh, is currently working on a, on a project with a rapper from Minneapolis named Crescent Moon I also in my research listening to him remembered that I heard this song that he produced by MF Doom a long time ago I thought it was really awesome. I thought it was fantastic. And um, yeah, we talk about being old and making music a lot. We talk about being in basements. We talk about making things. This hotel room feels like a basement. It feels like an above ground basement. That's only slightly worse than an above ground pool. I'm pretty sure this place is buried. Um, over an ancient Indian above ground pool. Hi, Howard Johnson. Bye, Howard Johnson. This is Secret Skin. There's a secret radio hour. And this is it. Yeah, so this is my first time uh, doing this in a real place. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's reminding me of like, I do all of my recording for my albums in my closet at home. Mm-hmm. The same place where I like record the intros for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And whenever I have to do something in somebody else's studio, I hate it because I feel like, I feel like the ultimate novice. I get nervous. Like I've never recorded anything mm-hmm. ever. And I end up doing this thing, this one half headphone on, right. headphone off That's thing. like your nookie blankie. Something, <laughs> you know, it's really strange. Uh-huh. Do you do you do a lot of like? Cause I don't know. You you started my my research, right? I'm gonna call it research. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna call all of, all of the Wikipedia mm-hmm. that I read. I'm mm-hmm. gonna call it research. And it's funny. I was like on your all music page, and I was like, it's clearly written by a publicist. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh wow! I've never looked at any of that. Yeah. Huh. Um, 
but it you know it makes it sound like you started off like in a very kind of like uh basement bedroom mm-hmm. kind of way is that is that accurate to say it like when yeah. you started at least when you started putting stuff out yeah yeah it is it is um right so the first sort of legitimate record i put out under the name fog mm-hmm. which was released by ninja tune um yeah it was something that i made pretty much in, at home like in a bedroom or a basement on a four track cassette yeah. and then you know kind of augmented it a little bit at another studio but um okay. yeah it was very um earthy you know so, like, what was <laughs> lo-fi lo-fi like yeah. To call it. yeah yeah i mean so what was your life like at that time was this like because it was released it wasn't oh two right yeah uh-huh what was um, your life like it, i read something that said you were writing music to like deal with depression and i looked at that and i was like okay it's another clearly publicist written thing like but how how is that in I, terms of you accuracy? know i mean in in retrospect now that's true but i mean i was 20 in the, in the very early 20s yeah, yeah, yeah. and everybody's depressed <laughs> you know what i mean everybody's depressed in the very early 20s so it's like looking back on it now that was probably a little overemphasized in in whatever anybody did yeah. want to write about it yeah, yeah, yeah. but the songs are depressing <laughs> so you know, it's funny uh, i guess and i'm not the kind of person necessarily is super dialed into lyrics mm. so when That's i was hearing weird. it i'm not it's funny like especially when i'm listening to non-rap music mm-hmm. yeah. i'm really it's mostly about how the music makes me feel mm-hmm. and there's a lot of music that people describe as depressing and to me it's like oh no it sounds awesome mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds mm-hmm. like a bright summer morning mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. you know um so you feel like you know the, the themes of things you were writing about were yeah, sad in a in a yeah in a very like kind of immature <laughs> you know journal entry sad diary entry kind of way yeah okay. I was bummed and um, you know just kind of lonely uh, weirdo kind of dude that first that initial music I think was fueled by a sense of isolation and transition mm-hmm. in the sense that leading up to that I had spent a whole lot of time uh, like DJing and right. like doing like hip hop right. stuff and making that record was this sort of moment for me where I decided okay I'm gonna try writing songs and that was the first time I had ever sang was on that record I mean it, and it was a transitional thing and I think that that kind of highlighted some of the lonely aspects of it too just feeling like I'm on a <laughs> on an island of some yeah. sort where nobody understands me or so, I don't know <laughs> some shit like that Is it depression? You were DJing before you started making those songs. Like, mm-hmm. 
what was your DJ? Did you would you call it a career then, or were you just DJ parties or like what, were, what was your DJ life like? Uh, DJ, yeah, DJ parties, DJ clubs, battling, uh, making mixtapes, um, that kind of thing. No, I mean, I, did I ever do it like professionally? Professionally? Eh, no, not really. Did you ever release anything like as a DJ? Just mixtapes. Okay. You what, know, what was like, the what was the name that you went under? DJ Andrew. Okay. Yeah. DJ Andrew. Mm-hmm. Short and to the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you battle like DMC? Like that? I, like a, big a couple of them. Battle. Yeah, a couple of them. I didn't okay. get too far, yeah. you know. Again, I think I was doing stuff that was a little too weird. <laughs> you know, even, like, even in the battling? Yeah, a little bit. Because I wanted to make myself stand out. And, okay. I, and I wasn't like... I mean, I was pretty good, but I wasn't like a technical, crazy savant like some people were. So mm. my stuff was a little more about the you know the creativity of it and trying to be sort of sonically interesting and like you know yeah just doing weird shit right that somebody would remember rather than rather um, than being super technical yeah yeah i mean i think i was trying to be technically decent but it wasn't where i yeah like there's no way i could hang in because it's really interesting hearing especially that first album Mm. um you know me with a hip-hop background and knowing a lot of people who are into turntablism and hearing like I know that certain scratches are very difficult, and then to hear you kind of blend that so seamlessly as an instrument. Like, was there anybody that you ever saw doing that that made you want to go forward and try to turn the turntable into like a centerpiece kind of instrument and in making music? Um, not in that way. No, I was into all the battle shit, scratch pickles. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Dibs and um. Executioners, yeah, executioners, yeah, all the you know the usual suspects, and watching the videos and doing the battles and like all you know just really really deeply into it, but but also at the at the same time, getting way into like Radiohead, right? And you know this kind of Radiohead kind of brought me back to rock music after a long time spent away from it. I was like all hip hop, and then OK Computer came out. Did you have peers that were into the same stuff as you, or you like you know? friends that kind of shared some of the same music or did that was that like another kind of isolating thing uh yeah i i I did have people that i collaborated with guys that i still play music with some of the you know like martin dosh and people like that who played in the original like fog live band okay but no as far as like those specific influences when i first started making this stuff no Okay. No, because I would, you know, I would hang out with like I would practice with DJ Abilities, for okay. example. If you well, know him, yeah. Um, so he and I would, you know, we practice together a lot and scratch and do shows and stuff like that. And um, he was like probably the main counterpart around here uh-huh. that I had as far as like turntableish shit. I didn't really know anybody else that was trying to do what I was trying to do. Huh. No. And I, you know, I knew that I was sort of like leaving something behind because I was kind of sick of, sick of battles and sick of, I don't know, burnt out on, on like hip hop being the only thing I listened to. Right. And you know what I mean? Just kind of right. needed to move on. So yeah, no, I, I don't know. So, on that first Fog album, you're turn you're 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 doing the turntables, and then what instruments are you playing on that first album? So it's like turntable, guitar, keyboards, uh, singing, um, kind of whatever, man. Yeah. Anything, just like drum machines, drum machines. Yeah, okay. playing a drum, but right, you know, beating it out, drum okay. machine with my fingers. Um, 
Yeah, and I think I played, I think I played everything on that record. So what led you to want to start working with more live players as Fog kind of developed? Um, after I made that first record and started touring, I wanted to do it with a band right. and not just solo, uh, much much to the chagrin of Ninja Tune. Why 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 were they chagrined? <laughs> oh, because I was a contrarian and and uh, <laughs> felt like I just wanted a lot of guitars and loud, you know, wanted it to be loud. It turned it turned pretty rock and roll pretty okay. quickly, you know, as as hip hoppy as that record kind of sounds yeah. in a lot of ways. The live show was way more muscular and okay. like guitars and live drums and shit like that, you know, which I just felt would have made. I just felt like that made for a, a more compelling live show, right? Because how did you do your show before you started involving players? What was the mechanism? Uh, there was no show. I oh, you never I, performed. I had solo? never really, not really. Okay. I mean, only just DJing. You know, what I, I mean, see. just like DJing. And so, yeah. So it was like I had to form a band to figure out how to recreate the shit that I had made on my own on a four track live, which in itself is just a strange process right. it's backwards yeah. you know it's backwards for how bands are yeah so how 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 was it you know what was it, what was it like having to dictate these parts from your four track recordings to these musicians who i imagine you respect a lot you know you're trying <laughs> to tell them how to play your weird right. parts that you did at home uh awkward but um thankfully i i was luck lucky enough to meet and become great friends with uh you know this group of guys who were just really open and even though i had mostly backgrounds in like rock music or, or jazz or whatever it was we just had big ears and open-minded and and you know i had my weird songs and weird sounds and weird <laughs> ideas about shit and they were just kind of like oh okay we'll try it you know and um but there was some momentum there at that time with the record coming out and being in the, the potential to tour and tour Europe and do all this stuff. And so I think that kind of, I think that momentum kept everybody uh, excited enough to like keep working on the shit, even though it was kind of, yeah, strange translating those songs into live band arrangements. For sure. Was it, was it ever a challenge for you to kind of lose the control of giving these parts to other people? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because when you make everything yourself, and this was how it went down for the first three Fog records, you right, know, because exactly. I would still, on the records, be doing most everything myself, even though I slowly started incorporating other people. Um, that's how it would go every time, where I'd, I'd go retreat <laughs> into my cave, in my dark tunnel, and uh, and make all this stuff. And then bring it to everybody, and then just be like, "Well, how the fuck are we gonna play this?" You know, like <laughs> right. that's not—that's not even an that's instrument. Not, that's, yeah, that's that's not a bass. You know, <laughs> those aren't drums. And yeah, it'd just be a process, just kind of a, a a a process that could sometimes be really exhilarating and fun, and then other times you'd just be like, "Boy, this translates poorly." You know, like certain songs, just be like, "Okay, well, I guess we can't play that song from the record because it's just." this sucks as a four-piece rock band you know there's no way to make this cool mm. so you know it's like um trial and error a little bit i've seen through many different projects of yours uh you working with rappers you work with bands like you seem to be um really good or efficient at collaboration i was talking to yoni um yoni wolf of why for uh for one of these he was telling me about when you guys made jaime's basement 
and how like you were really motivating him to like yeah let's do a song a day like, mm-hmm. like do you find collaboration comes kind of natural to you what is your what is your experience yeah with that? yeah um you know if i if i like someone's work or just think that it would be a good fit i'm pretty confident within myself I wouldn't enter into a collaboration feeling like, oh God, I don't, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You know, like I, if I'm if I'm going to enter into a collaboration with somebody, I feel confident that I would have something cool to bring to it, and so I don't feel weird with another artist about yeah pushing pushing this idea, pushing that idea, and I think and I feel like I'm pretty decent at reading how people like or dislike to be pushed to. Have you noticed any differences or challenges or pros and cons or any kind of comparison between like working with a rapper and or working with like bandmates on on one of your projects? Mm-hmm. Like, like, was, are there is there a huge difference? Is it Yeah, there's similar? a there is a huge difference. And one thing now that in the last like I don't know, last year or something when I'm kind of in a weird way going all the way back and and now getting into like making beats. Hmm. So, you know, giving beats to rappers to rap on, which is like, I haven't really worked in that way before formally, you know what I mean? In that process. And that is very different. Um, the idea of just sort of handing over a piece of music to somebody and then it's a little bit of a waiting game, you know, and everybody, every, you know, each rapper has a different way of approaching that process too. And different, you know, some people want to, completely finished beat some people want a skeleton of a beat that's you know that we can embellish later on some people want to work with you some people want to work in their own space it's there's a lot more stuff to navigate in there i think you know um how do you prefer to do it as a producer i i prefer to make something that is unfinished and have somebody bring some lyrics in and then you actually produce it (laughs) <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then and then structure things around the lyrics right. and um, and work with whoever I'm working with to flesh it out and make it cool. What was it like working with Doom? What was that like? Well, I didn't. We didn't do it face to face. Okay. Um, but uh, so, but my interaction with him was great. Like, yeah. um, so I was just a huge huge fan yeah i'm he's still he's probably like you know one of my all-time favorites like one of my top all-time five favorites for sure too. you know top five doomsday is in my top five yeah i made that decision actually last week really yep in part why i love it so much just i love it but it has a, a real emotional yeah resonance for me uh for a lot of reasons so i was working for this magazine uh-huh. and doing a lot of the music writing uh for this magazine called life sucks die and i wanted to interview doom because uh, I heard, uh, this was like right before Doomsday came out. So like Dead Bent uh-huh. came out, you Oof, know, the 12 dead, inch, that, like the original the Dead Bent. Uh, yeah. Dude, HPK in Chicago, you familiar with that that uh, radio station at all? Mm-hmm. WHPK was like the South Side Chicago College Station where mm-hmm. they had the hip hop show three nights a week. Okay. So that was like the way I heard anything mm-hmm. basically uh, in high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, I used to just tape it. And the first time I heard Dead Bent, like I'd like I fell asleep taping it and woke up and Dead Bent was on there and I just yeah. like rewound it over yeah. and over like what is this? It's a magical fucking yeah. song. Dead Bent and then Greenback shortly after that. Oh my god. It was like, yeah. 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 Those songs 
yeah, they give me goosebumps still. Um, I heard Dead Bent at Slug's house okay. for the first time. Wow. He was roommates with this guy, Aaron Horky, uh, who's a friend of mine, he's a great artist, and uh, they lived together for a while. And um, I heard a lot of important music for the first <laughs> time at that at that apartment. Um, but so I did an interview with him uh, for this magazine over the telephone, and it was great. I mean, it was like really he like opened up and did this lengthy interview, and um, you know we kind of just got to be friendly and like kept in touch a little bit. And so when it kind of came time to make that record. I, I, you know, I don't know. Like in retrospect, it was a pretty ballsy thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. be like, "Hey, man, do you want to read this thing and record it?" And so send that was it to your me? choice for him to read that. Mm-hmm. Seek goodness everywhere, and when it is found, bring it out of the hiding place and let it be free and unashamed. Place in matter and in flesh the least of the values, for these are the things that hold death and must pass away. Discover in all things that which shines and is beyond corruption. Encourage virtue in whatever heart it may have driven into secrecy and sorrow by the shame and terror of this world. Ignore the obvious. Yeah, I just emailed Doom and was like, hey man, do you want to read this thing as the intro to my album? You know, I don't have any money, whatever. I can, you know, just as a favor. But like, um, when I did that interview with him, you know, it was kind of, I think he was still in that time of crawling out of the hole, the hole yeah. you know what I mean? And and I like to think that I might have helped him out in some small way by sharing his music. I mean, we I was so enthusiastic about his music. and I Because you know, it, like, it wasn't like he had quite caught fire yet at that time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, he hadn't, he wasn't like at this kind of like legendary status yeah. that he's at now. He was like, you know, that was like underground shit still. Right. And, um, but I was just so enamored with his music at that time. So I just wanted to write a really good article about him and do this really good interview. So anyway, I don't know. You know, we, we kind of sort of kept in touch. And, and you, you, um, there's this it ain't nothing remix is credited to fog that's mm-hmm. that and i'm assuming that was you yeah that, that thing is beautiful oh, I actually you. you know i heard that it had to be around the time when it came out like you mm. know because i um was the kind of doom fan that i would go on like soul seeker limewire and just anything that had his name on it okay i would just download and yeah I, and i had you know the the intro he did for your album and i had that remix and i thought that was so beautiful oh that's awesome thank you so incredible yeah so was that like an official remix did that come no. out in any kind of way How no i did i did um these remixes there were two it was like two eps and they're called modern hits and then more modern hits okay where I, <laughs> i'm so old that these were mashups before there was a thing called mashups right. but it was just basically <laughs> uh it, it was just like taking acapellas you know, it was like a bit, you know, like when DJs, again, everything coming back to DJing, yeah. but being a fucking weirdo. So, you know, this was my version of putting a different instrumental under somebody's acapella. But, but how, how that instrumental sounds, it sounds like a thing where you hand did. I did. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So just really, making original music. You, you know, know, and, and yeah. to hear his flow, which, you know, I was familiar with the beat that it was originally over, but to hear it over that kind of organic yeah. production, man, that was really kind of something special. Thanks, man. Reckless with this food thought sort of like breakfast. You can mark it off as wreck on the checklist. Where gold fronts can't afford no necklace. So 
that turn to go to help build the daycares. Somebody say yeah, pick the bitch, give her a fuck. You know, I thought about this recently too, like why I connected with him as a as an artist and a persona so much is just that idea of reinvention. Mm-hmm. And I just admire that so much in artists across many different genres, but just people that are able to like reinvent themselves, yeah. you know, uh, throughout time and, and stay kind of ahead of things and stay fresh and relevant you know they're so great they're like one one of my very favorite things right now that's yeah. inspiring any number of things that i'm currently working on just like what thinking about Shabazz palaces can, can you can you share anything yeah i'm working anything? on a new fog record is, oh, is like the most awesome. important thing okay. yeah um and that that's what i'm giving most of my time to right now um i'm working with um a friend of mine named crescent moon uh, rapper who okay. um, he's in a group called Kill the Vultures. I, they're, they're from Minneapolis. From Minneapolis. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And previous to that, he was in a group called Odd Jobs. Okay, I remember that name, but yeah. I don't think I ever heard that music. Yeah. Um, what else? Some other stuff that I, is too secret. Okay. Right I'm yeah. Down. But the, but but yeah. But the fun. I want to hear all the is, secrets afterwards. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're fun. They're fun secrets. Um. So, tell me about the cloak ox stuff because mm-hmm. that seems to have been more of a. Uh, indie rock kind of departure now is that also all of your writing mm-hmm. like all of the lyrics all of the parts everything mm-hmm. uh the guys in the band that's a little bit more of a band thing okay. where um the fellows in that group will um have more of a hand in arranging and writing parts and stuff like that um but yeah it's a, it's a similar process where i'm bringing in written songs and and then we're learning them and then kind of writing arrangements for them as a group mm-hmm. okay is, is that now is that perpetuating is cloak ox still um I, yeah it, it's on kind of a break at the moment while i work on this fog stuff um i i kind of see that group as being maybe the most leisurely of anything that i'm involved with just in the sense that it's for guys who do a lot of other stuff including having families and playing in tons of other bands and this and that and everything and so just logistically it would be difficult to commit that band to any kind of like super active you know going for it type shit well when you when you are inspired to write a song do you feel like there's a different muscle for cloak ox stuff versus fog stuff. Do you set out for it to go one way or another? Yes and no. If I'm writing for guitar, the stuff I've written for guitar in the last few years has generally ended up being cloak ox music. Okay. And the stuff I'm writing for fog is more piano based and or ah, turntable sample based. I see. Um, so I think just by the nature of the instrumentation in the group, that's just what's feeling easy I, I can dig and that was part of the thing of wanting to start that group was sort of a reaction to the way i had had bands in the past which is what i just kind of described to you of like doing everything backwards right where you make everything yourself and then figure out some weird way to interpret it where <laughs> this is a lot more straightforward and everybody's kind of allowed to do the thing that they're good at and right. breathe and you know like the bass player plays bass and guitar player plays guitar and i'm not making i'm not sticking a turntable in his hand and trying to make him play it and he doesn't know how to or whatever which is great like that shit's cool but like um yeah so the cloak ox is uh hopefully 
hopefully interesting and creative, yet more straightforward, you know, rock and roll type was, of approach. I was uh, looking at some of that stuff today. I saw that Pigeon Love. Pigeon Lung, yeah. Uh, Pigeon Lung? Yeah. That song is awesome. Thank you. The video is incredible. Thanks. So you were saying that the cloak ox stuff is a little difficult because you all have families. Uh, is that something you like to talk about? Fam- like, how is it having a family? How is it making music, being an independent musician, and 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 doing it not only not in a position of just being able to think about yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you know this, but it's a weird mixture of incredible inspiration and high pressure and stress at the same time because you're you you know time time is a funny thing and before you one has a family you have all the fucking time in the world and i spent many years having so much time (laughs) so much time you know like those first few fog records man i remember my existence and like god damn months you know just months of like what did you do? What did you do in those months? And I know I did more than I think I did because right. I'm 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 pretty productive. I know I do know that, but I do beat myself up a little bit, uh, thinking I could be more. And uh, just thinking back about the vast mm-hmm. swaths of time that I had versus what I have now. But as you know, your focus just becomes so laser like yeah. in the time that you do have when you're trying to fit it in between family stuff and work stuff and money stuff and whatever real life, you know, it's all real life. But, um, anyway, musically speaking, I feel more inspired, I think than I ever have. Uh, and I think in some measure that's due to, you know, being like just really, you know, like proud and feeling like, yeah, have a beautiful family. It's right. inspiring for sure. Um, other things play into that too. You know, just my the the path from where I started to now. You know, that are making that the case. But yeah, it's a weird mixture. It's real weird. You know, does it does it cause you to feel more pressure to make mu- like make music more lucrative at all? Does mm-hmm. it? Does it? I don't know. I I think I'm kind of. I think I'm 99% done expecting music to make me a full living. Huh. <laughs> God, that's well what what brought you to that conclusion? Um, or what is bringing you to that conclusion, I should say. Well, um I I think I can expect it maybe to make me half a living. Okay. But uh if I keep pushing, you know yeah. what I mean, but uh, just the convergence of things that are not in my control, such as the state of the music industry, which at this point doesn't need to be talked about. We all know, <laughs> you know, uh, but also the fact that I, I don't have a great desire to tour a lot, a lot, you know, do- I'll do it. I'll do it a little bit, maybe if the circumstances are right, but, um, I'm not looking to be away from my family for 
eight months out of the year right. right now. I mean, you know, if it was making, if it was going to make me zillions of dollars to where we'd be okay for a long time, like maybe, but, um, I'm just trying to enjoy this state that I'm in right now, which is purely trying to harness inspiration and purely creative and yeah. just working a lot at home and just writing a lot and recording a lot. And like, I love it, man. I love being in the studio. I love wrestling with words and yeah. with parts. I love, I love it. I will never stop doing it, you know? And I'm really enjoying getting more into like producer mode with like rap shit too. Yeah. And so there's still a lot of stuff to do. Um, so my original statements is, <laughs> shouldn't sound as morose as it did, but like uh, your original answer was more about the state of the business than it is the state of your your relationship to creativity. It seems like you have a lot more to go in your own journey of creation, purely wh whether or not that has anything to do with the things that you're supposed to do to make money happen. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I get that. Yeah, and there's and there's a lot of shit to look to right now to keep that inspiration happening like we were just talking about like Shabazz Palaces or uh fuck man I don't know oh, like, you I'm, said I'm a just, lot you gotta say more than one uh <laughs> Ka oh word very good example it's a great example, very good example right like that's I mean, the holy he might trinity. be the best that's example the whole, yeah Ka and, and Ishmael might yeah. be the holy trinity of rap reinvention I mean even like um even like run the jewels or something yeah. like that. You know, I, I guess I'm, I'm primarily talking about age at this moment because you can be duped into thinking that there's a expiration date on you. Right. I don't feel like that's true. Like you have to figure out how to remain fresh and comfortable in your own skin right. as you age and go on. But like, um, no, like there's no, I, I see no shutting it down yeah, in the I, near I think, future. Yeah, I think and, it's, you know. it's absolutely not true that you can be yeah. aged out of hip-hop. And I think that, like, as every year passes, more rappers will choose to not quit rapping. And, and, and I believe that... I think what held that notion of, of it being a young person's game, and it is in a sense, because all of the business wants to invest in youth. Mm -hmm. And I get that, because the main... Uh, source of income for any musical, um, any big musical entity is probably the, the disposable income of teenage girls. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I get that. But, um, or I, college kids. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. but I do think the consumer is far more interested in, in a rap music that's more personal than before. Yeah, and um, I think our generation too is an interesting one because as we're growing up, we're not letting go right. of that shit as readily as say the baby boomers let go of Jimi Hendrix or whatever right. you know what I mean right. like whatever whatever revolutionary stuff they were listening to mm -hmm. in their youth you know so you have people in their mid late 30s even early 40s right now who are like yeah I still listen to only rap music and it's okay it's right. you know what I mean and that's um I like that. I like that about our age group. That, that actually too. gives me uh, uh, some some hope. It is know? tough because those people don't come outside. <laughs> <laughs> I know so because I am one <laughs> right. of them. That's true. That's a good point. That's the only. That's the only difficult thing. Like I definitely see the consumerism. I see the consumption mm -hmm. from the people in our age group. Yeah. But when you know when I'm, 
when I'm touring, I'm not seeing those faces, not the weathered faces that That's I'm looking to see. That's a good point. See, that is, you know? a, yeah, that is a good point. That is, yeah. But I understand because I wouldn't want to go hang around a bunch of kids anyway either. Right. You know, <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> I have yet to have the concert going experience where I truly feel like I don't belong there though yet. You know, like I haven't really felt that way yet. I have a. Um, are you familiar with Milo? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Milo is a is a millennial. Mm-hmm. And being a millennial, uh, he attracts millennials. Mm-hmm. And I've done tours with him where we've had a show, and I've been like, "Oh, I, I kind of don't even want to do this." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No. Yeah. I know. I do know what you mean because you know? when I played with Y, I toured with Y for okay. a year. Okay. In that band, and um, I very much got familiar with that feeling. That, <laughs> that was weird. That was definitely weird. And that was a few years ago. I mean, I was, I was. You know, I was a few years younger then, and I was still like, Jesus, man, I'm like, this is like, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that, that was. I mean, so my thing is, I'm always like, yo, where's the whiskey? I need to drink with the adults, you know? And, um, you know, he's like, Milo, especially, it's the kind of cat that, like, you can, you can really do well at all ages type spots with him, mm-hmm. which is great, you know, uh, for creating a fan base or sustaining some shit in the market, but mm-hmm. like, damn. I hate performing at a place without a bar. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, I think in uh, in those moments where I felt very awkward playing for an audience significantly younger than me and feeling like the old dude in the room, I just tr- I tried to transport myself because I started going to concerts when I was really young. Okay. I have a brother that's three years older and he, he started bringing me to concerts when I was like 13, you know? And so... I just try to transport myself back right. to that time and be like, chill out. You don't have to be hostile. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to, you know, yeah, these might seem like dipshits to you you now, but they're not. And you were them at one time and it's okay. Like that's, you know, you're, you're providing these youths with the, the same magic, hopefully, you know, that I experienced going to shows when I was 14 years old that's and shit funny, seemed though. just like completely mind-blowing and and i am I'm, I'm thinking about that now like the first few concerts i went to i like my first few concerts were like rap shows of people like common like most deaf mm. and uh, when i think about it now i was like 16 these guys were probably like 25 26 at the time yeah but they seem so much older <laughs> you know what i mean they, yeah. they seem like really grown men yeah when I, when I remember it you know i never really felt like we were ever close in age that's true but i think that that might be a function of rap of that era right. and earlier yeah. when that was actually the goal Right. was to seem older than you were seem wiser to yeah seem you know like now i think the cool thing in rap is to be 17 and sound and act like you're fucking 17 right. whereas like big daddy king could have been 40 and exactly. he was 18 exactly <laughs> like you look exactly. at like, like pictures yeah you can't ever imagine him being a young person no but they were all really young yeah. like they were all like it's that's what's really funny is like you know people talk about like odd future and like oh they're so young 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 it's like no it, they were all everybody oh, was young Nas was young yeah. everybody these people were all like 18 19 they just seemed fucking they older seemed you know like older. yeah that's weird to think about you know really what it is is i get so weird weirded out when i walk into a, a show especially one of my shows and there's a lot of young people there because i don't understand i don't understand how they could like me mm like that's really the main but you thing. should take it as a compliment i think that they do i think in, so, in some part of me does but some part of me is also like 
this isn't even happening. Like, this isn't real. Like, how? How? Like, you don't understand. You couldn't understand. Right. You must have won a contest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I will say that, like, in particular with, with the Cloak Ox, um, I have had experiences of playing shows where it was, like, mostly people my age yeah. and up. Yeah, 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 and yeah. that's not <laughs> you don't really, you don't want to look out and see that either so i don't know i'd take the young i'd take the i'll, I'll roll with the youngsters i hear you yeah i'm gonna stretch the boundaries of this free song thing oh shout out to andrew broder find him at andrew broder on twitter and in his bands the cloak ox and fog new fog record coming soon i always give you guys a free song i'm going to see if doing a live version of the song that i talked about earlier will suffice and the answer is yes because i get to make the rules in the dirty hotel room fuck you howard johnson yeah i got other homies too i'm not gonna say grant's name this time because it's the live version yeah yeah Say I like beats that sound like Zelda towns I didn't get it when he said it, but I felt it now And if I melted down the guns, I wouldn't be afraid The samurai fighting the streets like Shady Blade I prefer gangster movies, some evils I could listen to Neil Young and Sufjan Steve This is the age of I never listen to the kinks or the beta band and punch bowls and think about drinking with a ladle hand. Split my only pair of pants and sound check. Out of town, luckily nobody was around yet. I went to Target with my thighs and my privates out. Nobody even noticed, made them focus on my eyes and mouth. A unique personal embarrassment. I wonder if it's better to have somebody to share with. Probably not. I'm pleased to find Pilot Glad, my favorite J Electronica song. is probably stopped in a little while from now. If I'm not feeling any less down, I promise myself I'll pack my bags and visit a nearby town. Check that Gilbert and Whatever your name is. Open my giggle, giggle.